from F.E. Warren Air Force Base in Cheyenne, Wyoming, this is Missile Minutia, the official podcast of the 90th Missile Wing and the Wranglers of F.E. Warren. Here are your hosts. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This is Missile Minutia, the official podcast of the 90th Missile Wing and F.E. Warren Air Force Base. I'm Glenn Robertson, your host, and with me, as per usual, is Tech Sergeant Tyler Placey. How you doing, bud? Good, Glenn. How are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. So we've we've got a couple events coming up, and the one we're going to focus on today is going to be Fire Prevention Week. So to help us talk about some of the things going on and some of the things we can do to prevent fires uh, is Chris Waldrip, a fire inspector here at F.E. Warren with the fire department. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. I uh, really appreciate y'all having me out and give me a little bit of time to talk about fire prevention and fire safety. Okay, well, I think it's, uh, you know, kind of pertinent given what's uh, some of the things that are going on and have been going on with fires in California and fires in Colorado and fires here and etc etc you know people sometimes can forget that what what is how's the saying go an ounce of prevention versus a pound of cure that's right Um, it can it can go a long way so why don't we get right into it what uh, what have you got going on for fire prevention week so this year fire prevention week uh, for 2020 our theme is to serve up fire safety in the kitchen Um, Now, for those that don't know, Fire Prevention Week, it's actually been going on um, for a lot of years, about 98 years to be exact. Back in 1920, President Woodrow Wilson um, actually wrote it into where we'd have a Fire Prevention Day. And then in 1922, uh, they started doing a whole week. Uh, And it's always the week that October the 9th falls on. And and just as kind of gee whiz information, October the 9th, that's historically the date when Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked over (laughs) the the lantern, right? The Great Chicago Fire. So back in the 1800s, that's kind of where this whole Fire Prevention Week really started from, was the Great Chicago Fire that killed 250 people, displaced 100,000, made them homeless. Um, And then that that date kind of started getting celebrated every year. Um, In the 1920, or just before 1920, this group of uh, fire marshals who would become come to be known as the International uh, Fire Marshals Association, recommended instead of throwing big parties and just celebrating this fire that we actually did a little bit of fire prevention education. Um, and, and it's been happening ever since 1925 is when they actually had the first full week of Fire Prevention Week. And it's been ever since then. So um, we're you know coming up on 100 years here in a, in a few years. That's quite the forethought. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Every year is a little bit different. They have a different theme. Um, that way we can kind of focus on different areas. Um, but generally, the theme it's, it's it's usually chosen by the national fire protection association and it, it tries to cater to ongoing trends what's going on in the united states as a whole in the fire service um, and fire prevention realm as, as well as um, any anything that might be real pertinent to just our general um, civilians or our customers so to speak outside the fire service so this year with being serving up fire safety in the kitchen um, one of the reasons they chose to do that is because what a lot of people probably maybe not realize is that the majority of residential fires occur from starting in the kitchen. Um, most of the fire deaths that we have in the United States and injuries and damage all occur from kitchen fires. So that's where the NFPA decided to focus and us being the F.E. Warren Fire Department fall right in line with that, trying to, to push out prevention and education on preventing those fires from happening in the kitchen as well. Maybe we should focus a little bit on home ec as well. That, <laughs> right. that may be one of the issues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you, see, when you start talking about fire safety in the kitchen, um, a lot of it comes down to, like myself, I love to cook, and, and but I've got kids. Um, I've got a dog. You know, I've got lots of distractions going on, which when you start put, peeling back the onion a little bit and investigating what actually caused these fires to happen, 
you know, I, I don't know the exact percentage off the top of my head, but more often than not, it's from somebody losing their focus or losing their attention, unintended, you know, uh, or uh, unmonitored cooking, where they just walk away, you know, maybe they're frying something up on the stove, um, got something in the microwave or got something in the oven and something distracting, the game's on, the kid needs help, the dog needs help, whatever. They turn their attention away for one minute and all of a sudden this grease flashes mm-hmm. and now they've got uh, a fire. So um, kind of right back into that home ec thing, right, where, paying attention to what you're doing, you know, being fully involved and focused on what you're doing, not doing unattended cooking and trying to do too many things at once is one of the best things that we can do to help prevent those cooking fires from happening. Um, Especially especially with Thanksgiving right around the corner and the football's on and the turkeys are frying and baking and everything. We're hoping obviously to prevent the fire and not get distracted. The grease fire that you mentioned, what is the best way to put out that grease fire to prevent spread. Sure. So when you talk about if you're you know frying something up on the stove, um, the first thing that we want to do, and, and we I kind of always want to preface this with, it's based upon how big that fire is. So if you're talking about you know I'm, I'm frying up whatever uh, you know something in a frying pan, some chicken, right? And it's the fire is just confined to that pot. The best thing that you can do is to turn the burner off and put the lid on. If you can do that without injuring yourself. Now, if we're talking about a fire that is roaring up to the to the hood that's over your stove or it's starting to get into the walls, then we don't want you to put yourself in any risk uh, or you know, any danger to do that, to burn yourself, to turn that off. But yeah, for those small fires, the best thing we can do is, is turn that heat off and to cover it. The worst, absolute worst thing you can do on a grease fire is to put water on it. Uh, you start spraying water and, and it's people's natural reaction, right? They see fire, they know water generally puts out fire, so they want to grab that little spigot that's on their kitchen sink and they want to spray it. Water and grease do not mix at all, especially when the grease is on fire. All that is going to do is make what could be a relatively small, easily controlled fire expand times 10, times 100, and turn into this huge you know, fire that's out of control. Now it's not just the pan that's on fire, but it's the wall behind your, your stove, you know, maybe your decorations, anything you've got on the counters, and it can really turn what could be an easily managed, you know, small, very limited damage fire into a whole room being involved in fire burning your house down potentially putting yourself in danger in just a matter of a few seconds. Right. That's kind of why I wanted to bring that up. Mm-hmm. A lot of people go for the water straight away, and I've seen it. My little sister, when I was growing up, sprayed water on it, and I thought, this is it. That's <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, one of the reasons why I have a small fire extinguisher under my sink. I have, a, I have a gas stove, and just in case that conflagration gets a little bit bigger than what I'm comfortably able to physically move out of the way, I'd like to have something else so I don't see my you know, 80-year-old home just go up in smoke. So we've talked a little bit about what people can do to not burn down their kitchen. That's, that's a, a good start. What else, uh, what else would you tell people as far as the cooking and, and just general safety? In- sure. Um, I mean, preparation is really the key, right? And that making sure that you have everything that you need. Like you mentioned fire extinguishers being in your kitchen. Um, That's one of our top recommendations for people to keep in their homes is a working fire extinguisher. I mean, it's amazing how many people, and maybe I'm I'm a little bit biased towards it because I've been a firefighter for 21 years, right? That I got fire extinguishers all over my house. There's one in the kitchen. There's one on every floor. People come over to my house and they kind of laugh about it a little bit. Like, look at, oh, you could tell you're a fireman. Look at all these fire extinguishers. But it's that preparation just in case 
case, I want to be able to have that there to grab, but especially in the kitchen, that can be especially useful. Um, when we talk about frying stuff, being prepared into such as having that lid accessible, um, not sitting behind the pan on the burner that's off, having it over to the side on the counter where you can grab it and easily put it on there is definitely helpful. And then um, making sure that you keep everything that's combustible away from what you're cooking, right? Um, so not having big flowy drapes that might be hanging close to your stove or your oven, uh, not you know putting up combustible pictures or any kind of decorations around that stove area, keeping that area kind of fire safe as possible. And then one of the big ones is um, I'm a big proponent of the kid-free zone, right? Um, especially with little ones, even my daughter is 12 and we're still pretty hesitant to let her anywhere near something that's cooking. But when you have little ones keeping that, you know, we recommend a three foot area around anything, any kind of hot cooking, liquids, solids, it doesn't matter. Keeping that, those kids away because, you know, kids are curious. They, they want to reach up and grab, especially if you've got the handles hanging off and you've got grease that's at 160 or, you know, 170 mm. degrees, that could be a life changing injury to that child, if not cause, um, you know, death um, so we recommend doing that and that's kind of part of that preparation and and, and I kind of you know I get it we all kind of get involved um, and, and our kids are everywhere and the game's on and all that kind of stuff but making those preparations before you start cooking are really the biggest things um, to be prepared for fire safety in the kitchen we're talking about the kitchen you mentioned uh, Thanksgiving coming up uh, with Thanksgiving there's a couple things uh, obviously frying the turkeys there's there's been a big push for the past few years on some safety with that and then uh, that's also going to bring cold weather so there's some things we can do uh, prevention wise prevention wise as we're turning on our heat and and doing all those things absolutely um, so you know kind of first off with the turkey frying um, big fan of that I fry a turkey a couple turkeys every year I love fried turkey right some of the most common mistakes that we see with people frying turkeys is the first thing is they overfill their oil Right. Um, most commercial or, you know, the, the turkey fryers that you buy at home at a Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever. Right. They have a solid line in there that says do not fill past this point. And people will either buy a bird that is too big. Um, so a lot of them will usually tell you not to fry anything above an 18 pound bird, but they'll want to cram a 22 pounder in there. And all that does is push that oil up over the side. Um, or they'll just overfill the oil because they have a smaller bird. Uh, that line is there for a reason that oil heats up and and most of us myself included oftentimes we don't do a good enough job of drying that turkey getting all of that residual moisture that water and so there are going to be pops and splatters and when we overfill the oil that is going to react with that water when it gets hot and it's going to cause a boil over it can catch fire too the other the second thing that i see people do can result in a devastating fire is they'll want to fry their turkey in the garage it's cold outside there's lots of snow the wind is blowing 90 miles an hour i don't want to be out in the elements i'm just going to open my garage door i'm going to pull my turkey fryer in here and then we go back to the same mistake of overfilling my oil and, and all this heat rising up to a combustible surface that is the, the roof of our garage, um, and it, which can lead to devastating results. So don't cook your turkey inside. Follow the directions on how much oil you use. Temperature, pay attention to temperature. Again, to that unattended thing, right? Um, the, the turkey fryers, they have a little thermostat and a timer on them. They have it for a reason. It's so that you don't just turn it on and walk away and go watch the game for, you know, 
45 minutes to an hour without ever coming back to check that turkey um, to, to see if it's actually boiling over. And, and you should have a thermostat or thermometer inside the tank as well that tells you so you can keep your temperature right. You're going to want to have that because you don't want to overcook your bird anyway. Nobody wants burnt turkey on Thanksgiving. But, no, thank you. Um, that, yeah. With that fire, you know, that flame on that Bunsen burning, it can heat up that oil really quick. And if we walk away for a good amount of time, sure. you know, we could walk back out to our garage and and it's full on fire. And once it gets to that point, it's going to start spreading through the house. I'm sure both of you have seen those videos wherein somebody who hasn't been paying as much attention to how, how frozen that bird still is, <laughs> and they throw it in, and they're doing it in their garage, sure. and they put that bird in the fryer, and all of a sudden you have a volcano that has set. I've seen the house go up in seconds yes, sir. i mean it's it's absolutely nuts sure yeah you know? yeah and it's just, i mean it's just like you know lack of knowledge and, and at least in my experience of, of what i've seen of people especially pulling into the garage right and it's cold outside or whatever i got the door open i was you know ventilating but like you said they're they're in a rush they forgot to thaw the turkey out all the way mm -hmm. oh it's good enough and like you said you know they dumped that frozen bird in there and then that water instant, you know, all that ice inside that bird instantly melts, turns to water, reacts with that oil, and then volcano. Yeah. Um, and then almost, you know, 90 some odd percent of houses are made of wood timber. Sure. It's all combustible, right? And so the instant that heat and smoke and fire gets up to those, you know, the, the rafters and everything in your roof or the, the sides of the walls, it's going, right? And it's a hot, super hot fire that spreads very fast, which um, by the time, you know, you call us, you, you know, all right, we evacuated, we got out and did what we're supposed to do during a fire, and we called 911. Well, we're not there instantly most of yeah. the time. It's going to take us minutes True. at least to get there, and by that time, you know, your house could be fully involved um, very, very easily. Yeah. So we, we talked a little bit last week uh, with cybersecurity about um, security over convenience, and I think that fits here too, pulling the – pulling the fryer into the into the garage because it's more convenient to be warm sure. but we should definitely take that into account here too mm -hmm. in safety mm -hmm. over convenience yep absolutely yeah i mean you only got one life right um you know property can always be replaced but you've only got one life in your family you know you only got your, your one family's life so definitely safety over just staying a little bit warmer while you're frying your turkey I, you know i'm going to choose my life over that sure, for sure, sure. and there, there's our end we don't even need to do anything else <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, thanks for coming on um other stuff on the cold weather part we talk about turning our heaters on uh, it's it's a good idea just to do a kind of a function check on your heater depending you know whatever type you have whether you've got a boiler or furnace um, making sure our filters are clean you know again not storing a whole bunch of you know a lot of times our like my furnace is in the basement it's in a kind of a storage room with a hot water heater and oh by the way you know there's there's shelving for a whole bunch of decorations and everything I walk into some houses sometimes and I see where people have filled up all their shelves but now they're piling stuff up on their furnace right and they're blocking all the air that could be circulating around it helping keep that furnace clean and, and, and operating normally they can overheat just like anything else so keeping those areas clean as well um, a big one as well is when we talk about space heaters um, a lot of people like to use space heaters in their house when it's cold they don't want to run the heat in the whole house um, but just making sure that you're using a good space heater and what I what I mean by saying good is one that has tip over protection um, if you look on your space heater there's a, a 
a good one will have a stamp that says UL on it. It's Underwriters Laboratory. And when you plug it in and turn it on, if you tip it over on the side, it should shut off automatically. If it's got that UL stamp, it's been tested to prove that'll do that. Um, the, the, not all space heaters have that. They don't just come automatically with that, right? You can find some that still aren't made with that. <clears throat> with that. But uh, that helps prevent, you know, again, if it gets knocked over, that thing just doesn't keep heating, heating, heating. Like if it falls over on the carpet, just starts kind of, you know, start heating that up and pretty soon you've got a fire on your carpet. And if you're not in the room, again, that kind of unattended thing. Um, and then kind of the last thing I would say about the cold weather is carbon monoxide. Um, checking your carbon monoxide detectors. Um, if you don't have any in your home, highly recommend that you put carbon monoxide detectors in your home, at least outside of every living, uh, you know, sleeping and living area, um, especially, you know, at night when we're sleeping. It's kind of the same with smoke detectors. We kind of lump them in the same time a lot of, a lot of ways, but having that carbon monoxide detector in your home can save lives. Um, carbon monoxide is that odorless, colorless gas, right, that when it gets in our home, we don't realize it. We don't have detectors. You, you know, people will just start getting kind of sleepy and, oh, I'm just tired. I'm going to lay down. And what it really is is that carbon monoxide is replacing oxygen in their blood, causing them to go to sleep and never wake up again, right? Um, so checking those. And then I'll just lump uh, smoke detectors in with that as well. Uh, we always hit smoke detectors every year on fire prevention week, but checking your smoke detectors regularly. Now, um, I'm kind of uh, the recommendation that you hear people say, check the batteries once a year, but, but I like the time change philosophy. Anytime the time change is where we move forward or move back, check, check your smoke detector, right? Check or change out the batteries, excuse me. You should check your smoke detector once a month. Um, just give it a test, make sure it's still working, and then every time we do time change, change the battery out. Whether it needs to be changed or not, it might still be working fine, but just put a fresh battery in there to make sure there's no issues uh, that could come about with that smoke detector not working. So I know we talked mostly about home safety, um, but I know that uh, there there's, are some touchy issues um, about uh, these old buildings here on base and people getting cold and bringing in space heaters from home. Um, there are some concerns as far as people safely using those. Um, could you help us uh, remind us a little bit about what some of those are um, so, so people don't burn down one of our buildings here on base? Sure, absolutely. Um, so with the sp space heaters we're using uh, specifically in government buildings, the first thing, they have to be approved. Um, and, and that can be done locally through your, your, your local leadership. But they have to have that tip over protection. They've got to have that underwriters or, or another certifying agency's seal of approval that it's a legit a fully functioning smoke, smoke or a, excuse me, space heater. Um, but the other thing, and one of, this is one of the most common things I see in the buildings during the winter time, is where we put them. Now, people I've seen, they love to put them under their desk, right? Um, and down there by their feet, keeps their feet and toes nice and cozy and kind of warms up their whole body. The problem with that is, and our recommendation is to kind of keep a three foot space around any space heater, um, especially free of combustible materials. So sticking it under your desk, where there's definitely not three feet, doesn't allow adequate airflow around that heater to keep it from overheating. But a secondary concern with it is, is the clothes that we wear. Uh, most of us are, are not wearing 100% fireproof materials every day, right? Uh, probably very few people on base are wearing that. Um, but we wear these combustible clothes that now we're right next to a heating element that's just heating and heating, heating. Can depending upon the type of material, could eventually start kind of smoldering and catch fire. Um, and then if there's any other combustibles around the area, it can catch on fire too. A lot of times what I see is a space heater underneath the desk and the trash can right next to it, <laughs> right? And it's filled up with trash and overflowing and all this crumpled up paper that is just great kindling, right? Mm -hmm. As it gets hot, um, 
poof, right? Um, so recommend keeping that good three foot area around the space heater you're using clear. Uh, so whether that's putting it out, making sure you have approval, first of all, of your leadership, and that you're using a safe approved type of space heater in these buildings for sure. God forbid the house is burning. What, what you tell people as far as that type of prevention, um, getting out, you know, have, having a plan, all that other stuff. Absolutely, yeah. So on that evacuation and egress and emergency reporting, that's it. Uh, you kind of said it perfectly, is to have a plan. A lot of times we fail to do this as families, right? Um, but we need to make sure we have a plan. We make sure our kids know what to do when the smoke detectors go off, that they should immediately leave the house, right? Um, and, and practicing that plan with our family. So um, the first thing, you know, as a family, you should sit down and do is figure out where your emergency evacuation points are. Are we going to be able to go out the front door, the back door? Do I have windows I can get out? Multi-story houses. What's my plan to get out of the second floor if I can't go down the stairs, right? We need to have plans for that. Um, so having that plan, making sure everybody in the family understands it, practicing, right, which is one of the, sometimes we do an okay job at the planning part, especially, you know, in the DOD realm, but um, a lot of times we just plan it out and then we don't practice. So actually practicing that plan. Um, so if we see, you know, our smoke detectors go off, our carbon monoxide detectors go off, first thing is we got to get out, right? We got to protect ourselves. We get out, we got to have a rally point. So where are we going once we go out? Uh, we're all going to meet, you know, over here in this yard or over here at this neighbor's house, making sure I know that, my kids know that. If I'm not there or I'm not right with them, they know exactly where to go. Calling 911, right? As soon as, you know, as, soon as I get out and I'm safe and my family's, call 911, report that emergency so emergency services can start responding to take care of that. And then making sure that we know to never, ever, ever go back inside a burning building or even just a smoky building. Even if we didn't see fire and we just have a little bit of smoke, not going back in over our pets, over our photographs, whatever, our stuff. Um, and I, and I, the pets is a hard one. I get it, right? I, I got pets of my own. I love, they're just like my family. But again, our human lives are not worth risking going back inside a burning building to save our animals. So once we're out, we stay out, let the fire department come and do our jobs. I and mean, we train and search and rescue so that we will come in and we will still, we will go in and look for your pets, right? We, they're family members. We get it. Um, but not going back in there. Uh, and then again, I just going to harp on the practicing. That's the biggest kind of fault or failure in most of that that I see as people failing to practice where they sit down, they talk with their kids about it, right? Here's where you're going to do. Here's where you're going to go. You're going to go to, you know, Bill's house over across the street. If anything happens, do you understand, you know, Susie? I'm Susie six or, you know, seven. Yes, dad. Yes, I, I just yeah. want to play. Sure. Right, yeah. <laughs> Are we done? You know, no, we're going to actually practice this. And then I would kind of take that a step further. Um, it, it's too bad my daughter's there because she could attest to it but uh you know i set off the smoke detector in her in her bedroom um in the middle of the night 2 a.m i'll get up you know and i don't do it often but it's like a you know once every six or seven months type of thing to make sure that when i set that that smoke detector off that she gets out of bed and you know gets down and does what she's supposed to do and if she doesn't then we have a little bit of remedial training I, you know i just retired myself from active duty so she's fully on the the mindset of, of active duty military we have some remedial training i saw it off her <laughs> training report you know we we practice again sign her off and after uh, um, I'm just kidding about the after part. But, uh, well, kind of. It's yeah. an Excel sheet, but, but it's fine. Yeah, it's just that practice part of it that I, that I see a lot of most people don't do. You know, we, we plan, but then we just don't practice. And, and when it's an emergency and there really is fire in the house, there really is smoke, it's 3 a.m., 
we're half awake or half asleep, you know, um, that's when that muscle memory comes into play and not having done it for the first time. Yeah, it, it seems as though your survivability would go up exponentially if that is second nature. Sure. You know where to go and, and who to call once you're, once you're out and safe. Yep, that's right, absolutely. Well, in that case, I mean, I think we've got through most of what we planned on. I know we'll probably be talking with you again as we get closer to um, the holidays um, because there's, you know, that other fun uh, combustible that people love to buy and bring into the home. Um, <laughs> but we can we can wait a couple months. On, we don't need to be sure. talking about Christmas before Halloween. Let's let's not. Yeah, let's not do that just yet. But uh, <laughs> but we'll have you back on for that. And uh, anything else you want to add? I mean, last thoughts or, or any other concerns that we didn't get to while we while we were talking? Um, no, the only other thing I could think of is. If I could just give a quick plug for our events that we're doing here on base oh, course, for Fire please, Prevention sure. Week. Um, so this year is just like everything else is a little bit different um, due to the COVID-19, right? So we've had to scale back what we would like to do, what we would usually do quite a bit, but we do still have some events going on base. Um, so you can find us at the gates. We're going to be at the entry gates each morning um, as, as people are coming on. You'll see Sparky out there. We'll be handing out some educational material to, to people as they come on base. We'll be at the BX and the commissary during lunch. Um, we'll alternate uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We'll be at the BX and Tuesdays and Thursdays we'll, or we'll be at the commissary, but we'll have some swag bags and some, again, some educational materials out there. Um, um, for, for people to, to take if they want. And then uh, we're doing a parade, an emergency apparatus parade through the two base housing areas on Saturday. That parade's going to start at about 3 o'clock uh, p.m. And we're going to start over here in Atlas Housing, and we're going to work our way. And we won't be going down every single street, but we're going to all the main ones. And, and everybody in the neighborhood's going to hear us coming. Um, so we anticipate being through Atlas in about 20 to 25 minutes, another 5 to 10 to get over to Peacekeeper Housing. And then we'll roll through there. Again, we're going to have all the fire trucks out there, maybe some other vehicles. Um, we'll have some firefighters on ATVs that will be handing out goodie bags to any kids that are out there. I would put a plug out there for, for safety-wise is please do not run out to the fire trucks. Um, we can't let you on them anyways, but it's a safety concern when we're only going to be going about three miles an hour down the street, but those trucks are big and they have not very good lines of, of sight for the driver. So um, our ATVs, our firefighters will come to you basically is what I'm saying. So keep your kids and your, your husbands on the curbs, right? And, uh, and, and we will pull up to you and give you our, our you know, goodie bags. Um, and then um, what was the last thing? I just blanked on it. We did the parade, BX, commissary. At the gates. The gates. Oh, uh, and then we're going out to Freedom Elementary. Oh, okay. Uh, so we'll be out at Freedom Elementary cool. on Wednesday, pretty much all day. And we're just going to do some education with the school children over there. Um, kind of talking about the same stuff again. Uh, the evacuation and we'll have Sparky of course out there so if your your kids are out there then they'll see us on that day too. Sounds like a plan. Well Chris thanks so much for coming on. Um, definitely appreciate I mean this is important information um, for people to have and you know I don't think that there's ever such thing as too much prevention or too much caution when it comes to what loss can be in a fire. So sure. um, again thanks so much for coming and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again before too long. Anything else, sure. uh, starting place, before we close it out? I've got nothing. Outstanding. I mean, how do you follow that up? I, I really don't know. <laughs> Thank you, folks, as always, for listening. Next week, we will have Lieutenant Gardner and Sergeant Stark from the Communications Squadron on to talk to us a little bit about cybersecurity. That's the show. We'll see you next week.